Hello, and welcome to AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. I'm your host, John S. Today I'm speaking with Glenn G. from the Beaches Agnostics Group in Atlantic Beach, Florida. Glenn tells us his story and how the We Agnostics, Atheists, and Freethinkers International AA Convention helped inspire him to get involved in starting a new secular AA group. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hey, Glenn, uh, thank you very much for joining us. It's uh, nice to have you here. My pleasure. I'm glad to be here. Um, I guess uh, what I like to do uh, when I talk to people is, first of all, try to get to know them a little bit. And a good way in AA to get to know somebody is just to let, to let them tell their story a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that might be a good way for you to kind of segue into starting your group and, and some other things. So you just want to kind of start and get tell us about your your journey into Alcoholics Anonymous? Absolutely. It'd be my pleasure. Um, and I'll start in a traditional way. I am Glenn. I am an alcoholic. I am an addict also. And my my sobriety date now is June 6th, um, June 7th, I'm sorry, of 2009. My home group is Beaches Agnostic and Freethinkers here in Atlantic Beach, Florida. But the story goes a lot further back than then. I uh, am a child of the 60s, and during the 60s and early 70s, recreational drug use turned into um, addictive drug and alcohol use. And... That, that went on for a period from probably 1969 until uh, June of 1989. And after multiple uh, run-ins with the law and treatment centers and many other things, uh, I finally reached that magic bottom in, in June of 1989. And I just gave up, for lack of a better description. And they sent me off. Uh, to jail for a little while, and then they sent me to a long-term inpatient rehab, the kind of which we don't really have around uh, anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was absolutely uh, what I needed and helped save my life. My recovery started, my, my bottom and early recovery started with a religious experience. And it was, thank you, Jesus, for my toothbrush. Thank you, Jesus, <laughs> for my toothpaste. Thank you for this day. Let me memorize some scripture. And I was all changed, saved, and ready to go. And luckily, I got exposed to some professional counselors while um, incarcerated who immediately red flagged me and said, whoa, this is wow. going to work for you. <laughs> So uh, when it came time to send me back into the community uh, for a work release program, they sent me to an inp- inpatient drug program. And I spent the first 60, almost 90 days there explaining to the counselors and anybody that would listen that I didn't need to be there, that I had Jesus and it had changed my life. Now, did you find Jesus in the jail? Oh, yeah. Jailhouse religion. Okay. All right. Absolute jailhouse religion. <laughs> Looking back. But, uh, you know, that contributes to my experience uh, today that makes me much more understanding of other people's beliefs because, sure. John, it was just as real to me today as my atheism atheism is to me today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And it's all about what someone believes, which is yep. uh, which is where I've come in my in my full circle in recovery. So um, at about the 60 to 90 day mark of uh, the inpatient treatment um we had what was called a marathon group in the old days, and it took them a couple of days, but they finally broke me down and got to the core of my issues, um, and uh, that started the road to recovery. AA was a part of that treatment center. They came in and brought a meeting every uh, twice a week, and then towards the end of the treatment cycle, before I uh, was released to come home, graduating, quote-unquote, uh, we were allowed to go to outside meetings every day. 
So that's how I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I came home in uh, August of 1990. By that time, I had been sober a little over a year and started attending meetings and never really did the deal, quote unquote. Uh, mm-hmm. I was what was described in the big book as a classic two-stepper. I had a solid okay. first step, and I shared my shared my uh, recovery with whoever wanted to listen and touted mm-hmm. AA uh, from all the rooftop. Mm-hmm. But I never got a sponsor. I never joined a home group. I never uh, worked the steps other than the, the, source, the first four that I did in treatment, four or five. Uh, so it just was, a, I was a classic two-stepper. But it worked. Okay. It worked. For uh-huh. on, you know, I yeah. had such a horrendous bottom. That you know, I, I, I at 33 years old, I was ready. You know, yeah. I just never. Uh, now looking back, I realize that's also a very common aid for uh, addicts. Uh, opium was my uh, uh, drug of choice, heroin, and for addicts, that's a very common age where they either get off the bus or they ride the bus into the sunset. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a very common age <laughs> where they, uh, where you get burnout, where you finally okay. burn out and realize this isn't going to work for me. And I was, I think that was contributed to it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, there were things going on in my life in the early nineties, uh, and early in recovery that, um, were wonderful and I couldn't have achieved if I hadn't have been sober. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a divorce, uh, Upon returning from treatment in '90, and the court gave me full custody uh, of my two and a half year old son. And um, here I went from someone who was 33 years old and couldn't take care of myself to having to take care of me and, and a two and a half. And um, so that that became part of uh, who I was for many years. I um, stayed sober, started going away from Alcoholics Anonymous, meaning meetings and things, probably in mm-hmm. year two or three. Mm-hmm. And uh, from from 1995 on, I probably went to two meetings a year, one to pick up my chip and one just because I would wind up there with somebody or just drive by and pull in. Right. So um, recovery was still a part of my life. Everyone around me knew I was in recovery and knew I didn't drink and didn't drug. And then, and I even named my company Heavenly Landscapes, which started a lot of conversations about recovery. And I could share my story because I was very mm-hmm. adamant about that and very grateful. Mm-hmm. So fast forward a few years and I go back to college as an adult. I start a business. I'm raising a son on my own and I'm having a lot of success. And a lot of rewards and things are going really really well and in 2005 which is 16 years later i remarry a new wife kid uh, my son at that time was ready to graduate high school my business was flourishing and you know i had gotten completely away from recovery mm-hmm. uh, i had one person in my life who was still my best friend and has become a mentor in the program to me uh, that was in recovery. And frankly, other than that, um, the recovery was not was not on the front burner with me. Okay. And the lesson I learned there and the punchline there is that uh, in 2006, my pediatrician of 15 years, my pediatrician, my general practitioner, who mm-hmm. was my son's doctor also, but... Um, Prescribed me a narcotic cough syrup. Ah. I had, knowing full well that I was in recovery and had gone over all that with him like we all should. Mm-hmm. I don't really blame him. It was my job, but 
the you know the long sh- the, the the short version of the long story is is that I had walking pneumonia in the middle of the summer. Oh wow! And I had a company with twenty employees and didn't have the infrastructure to let it go and run on its own. And I just explained that he wanted to put me in the hospital, and I said I can't do that. Right. Give me something, and I'll get up in the morning and be in bed by lunch. And he did. And um, I didn't even know it was a narcotic. I filled the prescription, took took a dose, got in the truck, and went back to work. But boy, fifteen minutes later, <laughs> I felt that glow, and I knew exactly what it was. Oh wow! Yeah. And the term that I affectionately describe it as is that, you know, I had the bear hibernating in the cave for a long yep. time. Yeah. Good, good description. Yeah. And it did, and it didn't, uh, it didn't wake the bear up, but it poked. Yeah. And, um, what happened over a period of a year <laughs> was I, uh, got sick a couple of more times and there wasn't an immediate relapse. There wasn't immediate off the deep end. There was, I took that prescription, of course, taking bigger doses than I needed because I'm such a big guy, <laughs> not because I will, not because I was an addict and wanted to get right. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Well, I have one tablespoon. I probably need three of these. <laughs> um, so I probably, you know, so every time I got a cough or a sniffle, I ran in the office and got another, got another yeah. prescription. Mm-hmm. Tussie and X is what he was giving me. Mm-hmm. Um, and each time, and, and John, each time I did it, um, the physical, the physical, uh, the physical part of our addictive, uh, body, sure. biological, physical part just increased. God. Uh, the, the subconscious cravings increased. Uh, are yep. you thinking about it more? Um, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. It took about a year. That was when I feel my relapse started, and I call my I call my relapse officially starting in 2007 because that's when I mm-hmm. went to the doctor for the first time and lied. Mm-hmm. All had chewed up my bottle, and I needed another prescription. Yep. And that slowly uh, tumbled into finding out I could buy it online to uh, this working doctors for for pain pills, and finally uh, full relapse. Uh, in, in spring of 2007, uh, with back using heroin again. Oh Lord. Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, in two, in May of 2007, as part of the way I like to tell my story is in May of 2007, I was 16 and a half years sober, business, family, college education, lots of friends. But I was back on the wagon again. I was back riding, riding the addiction, the addiction cycle. Right. It took, um, 18 months. And in January of 2009, mm-hmm. uh, I checked into the local homeless shelter. Okay. Um, lost, you know, we all know that story. Yeah. Uh, you know, first went the family, second went the business, third went everything I owned. And uh, the only thing that I uh, had in my possession in January of 2009 was my truck that didn't belong to me. It belonged to the bank. And I checked in and I'd like to say that that was a wake up, but it wasn't. I am one of the, mm-hmm. I am one of those classic addict and alcoholics, exactly like our founders. I'm, yeah, I'm a hopeless. Uh, I'm a hopeless addict and alcoholic, which it's been my experience, John, that that makes our program easier to get. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Um, I always am amazed and admire uh, the young people that come in and people mm-hmm. that have bad emotional episodes but aren't of the the variety of addict and alcoholic that I am. 
right? Um, which is it's it's uh, it's wonderful, but it just amazes me. Yeah. So um, in May of 2009, got arrested for driving on a suspended driver's license and mm-hmm. couldn't even make a $75 bond and stayed in jail for three weeks, um, dried out, got released, and literally waddled to the beach, back here to the beach, to my sister's mm-hmm. house. And she allowed me to come in and said, if you'll go to AA and stay sober, you can stay here. So, yeah. so that was June June the 1st, or June 1st of June, 2009. Mm-hmm. And at that time, John, I owned two pair of shorts and a t-shirt was mm-hmm. it. and I went to my first AA meeting up at the clubhouse we have a big local clubhouse here at the beach I don't go there a lot now mm-hmm. and obviously I was ready to do anything I was I was a very this part of my story is very typical um, I went to my first meeting a fella shared against the wall uh, I didn't hear a word he said it was just the rhythm of his voice and the assuredness mm-hmm. of which he shared yeah. Gave me comfort. Yeah. And I did the hardest thing I've ever done in Alcoholics Anonymous to this day. And that was I walked over to that stranger with tears in my eyes, stuck my hand out, and I said, will you help me and be my sponsor? And he said, absolutely. Well, he turned out to be an absolute um, West Florida big book thumper <laughs> who took, which looking back, was exactly what I needed. Yeah, yeah, I, I can relate to that. I was a, uh, I was kind of a big book pepper for a long time. So I'm kind of glad I did. I had that experience. But I, go ahead. I, I know. I tried that shoe on too. <laughs> Didn't work for me, but I tried it on because of what I knew at the time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, it was what I needed, though. Uh, and just to give you an idea of the shape I was in, uh, I was 360 pounds. Oh wow! My blood pressure was 200, 200 over 190. Wow! And I had sores on my legs. You know, I it was it was really a uh, an enlightening experience for me, who had never been a hardcore alcoholic, more of an addict, but a heavy drinker. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I did drugs. I didn't pick up a drink until uh, probably the last six months of my relapse. Mm-hmm. But, buddy, let me tell you, John, when I did, it was like putting lighter fluid on a burning fire. It just yeah. destroyed me. Yeah. Uh, it, Good Lord. Uh, I mean, it destroyed my immune system. I mean, it really, really, yeah. uh, I was on the way out. So I was in very bad shape. And, I, you know, I couldn't think clearly. You know, in June of '09, I, I needed someone who, to tell me what to do and how to do it. So I spent um, the next three months riding a bicycle up to the clubhouse and other meetings. I had no mm-hmm. driver's license; it was suspended, and working the steps with him. Yeah. Uh, and he took me through them very slowly because, as he affectionately told me early on, he said, "Your dumbass isn't ready to do anything but go." Yeah. And he's right because I, I just, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I really, I was in a fog. Yeah, I that I think that's good advice in the beginning. I actually did the same thing. I had a really nice guy who's helped me out, and he said I had asked him, "Do I try to be working the steps?" He says, "No, John, you you just go to meetings. That's all you need to do right now." I said, "Okay." Right. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, um, my personality is not one. I'm a very gregarious, outgoing person, so my my personality is not one just to listen. Yeah, and he didn't tell me to shut up, but but he did. You know, he did say, you know, no, we're not ready to work the steps for a while, and uh huh. It took um, it took probably five months until we we finished with step five. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You actually went through them quicker than I did. Well, <laughs> that's yeah. I took years. <laughs> yeah. Well, I understand that now that I'm working with others. That's an okay. Yeah. Thing to do. 
Yeah. You know, my, the first part of my the first part of my recovery uh, after the relapse was just um, immersing myself in AA and the life yeah. of AA. I became a three day a meeting goer. Had no job. I had an inability to get a job. Yeah. Uh, had no transportation, all the normal things that we have in life. Uh, you know, so AA basically became my life. Yeah. And um, about four months in, uh, my sister came to me and said, you know, it's time for you to get a job uh, and, and move out. Um, my husband's words, you're going to live here the rest of your life. You know? <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, so um, at that time, I probably wasn't ready, but with a lot of things in life, uh, you know, I was ready for more than I thought I was. Yeah. So I went out and um, finally found a job, uh, which was very humbling, and uh, humility was a big part of my early recovery that I'm grateful for. You know, John, it, uh, I went from a real egomaniac, uh, typical uh, materialistic American uh, uh-huh. Before I relapsed, it was all about who, what I had and who I was, not uh, anything spiritual or right. to, you know, uh, a very spiritual, non-materialistic uh, way of life. And, and, uh-huh. and I'm grateful for it today. So I wound up as a helper on a lawn maintenance crew taking care of the same houses that my company used to take care of. I'll be darned. So you want to talk about humility, try ducking around yards so the customer doesn't see you to come out. Uh, hey, yeah. what happened? That, you know, that was that's just part of my story. And I, and I mm-hmm. moved out and slowly got on my own. And I do want to tell a quick God story that's really funny. Okay. So when my sister tells me I've got to move, I'm sitting in a 7 a.m. meeting in September of 2009, four months sober. And I share that I've got to got to move out of my um sister's house and then I'm going to have to find a place to stay and the couple sitting next to me says after the meeting you know we've got an upstairs that we were thinking about turning into a studio and um you know maybe maybe we could put you in there and I was like oh <laughs> so I immediately as soon as as soon as they walked away I picked up the phone John and I called my sponsor and I said god has found me a place to live <laughs> The moral of this story is I move in Uh without, you know, and within two weeks, (laughs) it 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 makes one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Oh no, she is mentally ill. Oh no, I think to this day is still institutionalized. Yeah, Uh, five years later, six years later, he is just. You know, can't stay sober two hours. It was absolutely crazy. Uh. <laughs> so a month later, when I walk down and try to pay my rent, and they're like, well, we're not sure. We don't know. Well, just get back with us next month. We're not sure. I'm like, you want my money? It was just, <laughs> right? I walk out into the street. I walk out into the street. I call my sponsor and say, you know, tell him. And he, of course, says what? <laughs> well, Glenn? I thought God found you that up. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that was the beginning of getting out of the God business. Okay. And it was a great learning experience for me uh, that I put in perspective later. But so uh, I, I actually, my sponsor helped me find someone in the program who rented a room out in a house uh, that had been sober for 20 years. And I yeah. moved in with him to the master bedroom and stayed there five years. It was a wonderful, wonderful cool. experience. There's so much of your story that parallels mine. I stayed with my sister for six months. She made me leave. 
the day that I left was the same day that I I got an apartment and a new job. I had my oh. my car packed up with all my life's possessions. Oh. Went to work and that day moved into an apartment. <laughs> yeah, so why? Well, yeah, it, it, you know, it, it's 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 unique. It's amazing how much our stories always run parallel in some way, and then yeah, and then I found a nice guy from my home group who had um, an apartment that he rented to me for like two hundred dollars a month. And I was there for like seven years, and um, it was great. So, <laughs> well, I stayed five years, and during that five years, you know, in my AA life, I continued with the original sponsor uh, probably for nine months, almost ten. And he was smart enough to see, as he was taking me through the steps, that he was not going to be able to help me long term. And he said it, mm -hmm. he told me earlier, and I didn't understand what he said, John, you know, he, when we, we had a real hard time getting through step three, first of all, mm -hmm. um, but we did. And, um, why is that? Is that because at this point you weren't believing in God or you weren't um, losing that faith? Um, no, at that point I was trying to explain God. Okay. I was trying to explain an alternative non-religious God that he didn't identify with all. He was a okay. big cut and dried, um, which is what attracted me to him and made him so good for me at the time. Everything was black and white. Right. And a perfect example that he told me early on was, I drink Dunkin' Donuts coffee. I don't need to try Starbucks. I don't need to try. <laughs> I drink Dunkin' okay. Donuts coffee because it's good. And that, All right. <laughs> that's how he was. And if you see him today, he's drinking Dunkin' Donuts coffee. Well, he's got to try Starbucks for Christ's yeah, sake. I'm a Starbucks addict, but that's enough. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and when, and when we talked about step three, the first time we tried to work through it, he told me that it was the dumbest thing he'd ever heard and to go back and work on it some more because I tried to explain to him how God was in the leaves and the air and everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he just said, that's just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Well, so much for your own conception of a higher power. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, so he, but uh, he told me, he said, you're going to outgrow me and that's going to be okay. Yeah. And so um, about nine months in, he was right. And I was actually mm -hmm. on step nine then. And uh, I had made my list in step eight by myself because he really had kind of faded out of the picture. And I went and made a couple of men's and totally screwed them up because I didn't do, work with anybody on that. And um, I reached a, I reached a point of, you know, I went from a black and white sponsor to I needed a totally gray sponsor. I needed someone I could talk to. And um, I met a guy. At a, I had met a guy years uh, the year before at a meeting. I attended a retreat in January of 2010 and asked him if he'd help me find another sponsor. And he walked me through how to do it. I had coffee with several guys and talked to them. And by the time a month went by, you know, duh. It dawned on me that he was sitting right in front of me. Hmm. So um, he became my new sponsor. He uh, he just celebrated 43 years last month. Oh. He was an addictions counselor in the in the Navy for 30 years, and he was exactly what the doctor ordered. You know, he was mm -hmm. somebody who could hit all hit all bases with me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I still call him my sponsor to this day. Though it's been my experience, if you truly do the deal. You know, a sponsor is not what uh, it is during the early years. True. I agree yeah. with that. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, he actually had a brain tumor a year and a half ago. He survived and is in recovery and in remission, mm-hmm. but he's not the same person. Right. Um, I still pick him up and take him to a meeting once a week or every other week, and we mm-hmm. still see each other around. But basically, he, you know, he's not my go-to guy anymore. Right. And you know, my experience has been if you do the deal the way I did, you know, I have ten go-to guys, and I go to people who have experience in whatever I'm going through that I need help with. Yeah, that's how I am now. Too. Yeah. So, um, so we started working together, and by that time, you know, uh, I'm firing on about uh, five cylinders of a six-cylinder engine. You know, I'm ready to go, and I've reached that AA stage of I'm ready to write the essay, turn it in, get my grade, and and let's move on. You know, mm-hmm. let's finish this thing. And he was very instrumental in teaching me through actions and holding me up that everything is a process and it never stops. And so that's my experience with recovery today that I try to share with newcomers and people I'm working with. That recovery, like all things in life, is a process. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I was just actually just thinking about that. It is a process. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm writing something about step four and I was thinking, you know, there are certain things that you have to experience and go through before you're ready to do that step. And there is definitely a process involved. Um, that's, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. It's, 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 it's something, so a lot of it is more than, um, anything that we can think about or do. It's just things that happen to us that we have to kind of recognize. Um, anyway. Yes. No, I agree. It is a process. And, and the process doesn't stop. No. That's, that, that took a long time for me to see. So we work, we work through the steps and, 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 you know, the, the best example I can give of, of, of the gift of, uh, of patience that my sponsor uh, gave me was, so, you know, when I started working with him, I had my little list and I was like, okay, mm-hmm. how do we do these amends? And, you know, and he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, well, let's just sit back and keep doing what we're doing and let this take care of itself. And I- so Glenn, how did you get into, um, the secular AA thing, and did, did, at, at this point, were you becoming an atheist, no, or were you no? Uh, no? Yeah, I'll okay. Fast, I'll fast forward for for you real quick. Um, uh, what he taught me was just to wait, and the amends would come, and that was what happened. You know, I turned the corner in the grocery store six months later, and there was that person that had worried me the most, and I was able to make the amends, and that was the beginning of that process. So I continued to work with him and do the deal um, for five years. Uh, okay. Um, I picked up my five-year chip, and I was immersed in AA, just like mm-hmm. I had been for five years, and I was completely miserable, John. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had tried as hard as I could to go along and get along as we hear, mm-hmm. and tried to make uh, something out of circumstances and, and, and things that happened. I tried to make it part of a higher power. It just didn't work for me. Okay. So there's a saying in AA, and I put it in the paper. I'm going to send the, the story. I'm going to send you. You know, there's a saying mm-hmm. around the rooms here. I don't know if you've heard it there. Uh, if you hear a popping sound when you pick your five year chip up, that's your head popping out of your ass. I have not heard that one. <laughs> that's a pretty um, common saying around with old timers around this area. Uh-huh. And that that uh, kind of uh, resembles my my experience. Um, so in yeah. June, so in June, um, all six cylinders of my engine was hitting. You know, I had restarted my company. I had um, started a relationship. I had done a lot of things that, uh, you know, I was back. I was back to a, a productive, full life, and I was miserable because mm-hmm. I wasn't being authentic with myself or anybody else. 
Yeah, I got that, there. I got that point. God. Yeah. And so what was happening and what happened between June and August was it just got worse and worse. You know, mm. I just got angrier and more isolated and, you know, didn't hear anything good in a meeting. All I heard was what I, you know, what was bothering me. Um, but I was. So were you beginning like to lose your faith and you were afraid to talk ab- about how you were, f- how you, you viewed things now? Is that what was happening? Uh, yeah, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't, I had already lost my faith. I had become agnostic probably year two, uh, mm-hmm. where, you know, it, it became a back and forth trying to explain things issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by the time I picked up my five-year chip, you know, I I knew that I didn't believe in these things, and that 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 you know, it was my belief, not that I knew, which right. is very important. Uh, I don't know; it doesn't matter. Right. I know it's what I believe, and I knew I didn't. Believe, right. But I uh, I had no conception, and it, and I was definitely in the closet. Is the answer to you? Is the answer to gotcha? That. Yeah, I was I was that too for a little while. Yeah. Uh, there was a couple of friends that I shared with and they, they were understanding, but they just really, you know, they didn't help me with my dilemma. So by August, it had gotten so bad that I was looking around to join some other, um, fellowships or try out some other fellowship smart or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. something, something different because the big lesson that I learned when my relapse was, is that for me, I had to stay attached to a recovery program for the rest of my life. Yeah. So, um, in the process of the summer also, I talked to several people and they, and I discovered that there was another WAF meeting here in town. It wasn't called a WAF meeting. It was just called agnostic. Okay. And I started attending that in August when I found out about it. And it was through that meeting. <clears throat> one of the guys that was a member was actually, uh, Joe, Joe C and, and, Canada was his sponsor at one time. I'll be dying. Uh-huh. And through him is how I found out about the convention. Oh. Yep. And so that was in, it wasn't until September that I even found out about the convention. And like I shared with mm-hmm. you a little earlier, uh, I had that surf trip all saved up for and planned. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I decided, you know, let's go check this out. And I, and I have a, a real good friend who's been sober since the 70s who was willing to go with me. And um, we uh, we loaded up in November and off we went. And frankly, um, I showed up there in that ang- I was the angry atheist. You know, mm-hmm. face. I was just so freaking angry at everything and everybody, including really, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, um, uh, you know, I, writing about this the last couple of days has really helped me put it into some kind of chronology. And in, in yeah, um, that, you know, I showed up there not knowing what to expect, kind of apprehensive and alone. You know, the uh-huh. biggest thing, John, is I had been walking around uh, for more than just since I picked my five-year chip up. I, I didn't feel a part of for probably a year before I picked my chip up, but it had really reached a tipping point. And, you know, we showed up and uh, we're, we were greeted uh, happily and given our packets and you know, we went through the first day, and the first day is more of a blur than anything else. Uh-huh. But let me tell you, brother, when I uh, got in the van to go back to the hotel that night, I had that glow that you can't yeah. describe to anybody else that hasn't had it of, man, I wasn't alone anymore. 
Yeah, that was an awesome experience. I I relate. Uh, yeah, completely. Um, and, and and you know there was one of the panels on spirituality or not spirituality. Uh huh. I was at that. Yeah, and I loved the um I loved the marine explanation of esprit de corps. Yeah. And that was my experience. Um, yeah. But you know it was a spiritual experience for me. Um, yep. I mean I went back to the hotel. And it all melted away. No different than the, the newcomer that comes in and finds out they're not alone. It all melted yeah. away, John. So I love that convention because I, I was I was um, at that point trying to figure out how to be an atheist in AA. And you know what? There's all kinds of different ways you can do it. And I, I was like, man, I, I, I'm still like that. I'm like, wow, you know, I'm very spiritual and then I'm very scientific. I'm, I'm a lot of different things. But Right. Um, no, no, I agree. And I, and I agree and I understand. And I. For me, it wasn't about coming out yet. That was a yeah. that was a process that started when I came home. For me, it was you know I'm alone. I can't be a, you know I w- I was real fearful of my recovery. Um, so for me, it was more of a, a a great learning experience, but more of a it was just more of a of an eye opening spiritual experience for me. And yeah. So you know I did. Several of the workshops we spent every minute, uh, except for one day at the time uh, we went out and I showed him the Ferris wheel and the other things in Santa Monica. But other uh-huh. than that, we spent all the time at the convention. And one of the workshops uh, that I just kind of walked into, I hadn't really planned to go to, was the How to Start a Meeting uh, workshop. Oh, cool. Okay. And, um, you know, I just picked up that paperwork and I listened and, it, you know, it wasn't a big, well, I need to start a meeting. It was just part of what I did. Uh-huh. It was more um, when I got home, of course, um, just on fire when I got home. Now yeah. I'm on fire because I know I'm not alone and I know that, you know, there's others and a lot of other things. I went, I ran into the Tuesday night meeting that was already here and just, you know, spent 20 minutes they couldn't get enough hearing about the convention and mm-hmm. sharing their books and a little sidebar if joe listens to this um uh, we use joe c's um agnostic musings as our reading for those meetings now you know which i brought that book back yeah yeah <laughs> we use that too yeah. every once in a while yeah yeah it's in that light so um and and we use a format that i that, that one of the san francisco groups forwarded me you know uh, uh-huh. convention the convention was very instrumental in what i'm doing in in recovery and with meetings today. So, you know, I, uh, I come back in November, I'm on fire, you know, and then the coming out process started. Uh Now, before before that, John, the year before I came, before I came back from the convention, I was that guy that shared, I didn't believe, but I shared it cynically and judgmentally, like you Uh you people are stupid. Yeah, you know, and um, that you know wasn't anything positive or constructive constructive about my my shares uh, because I was just so angry and alone. Uh, so when I came back, you know, I started sharing the joy and I started sharing the you know wow this you know there is a lot of groups and stuff. Um, another friend of mine in the program uh, asked me what I was going to do and I told him I want to start a meeting and he said I've got a place and so then I had to take. Luckily, I just went to the paperwork I had and uh-huh. worked with the guys from the Tuesday night group. And on December the 13th, we started a meeting. Uh, we had our first, we had our first meeting December the 13th of 2015. Uh, there was four of us, uh, in a one, and we got the coolest. We meet in an art gallery here at the beach. Oh, wonderful. Uh, cool. Phenomenal. And, um, you know, it, it, uh, our first meeting was really just three or four guys that, uh, uh, 
couple I meditate with and uh-huh. another guy from another meeting and one person from the uh, Tuesday night meeting. And uh, that's how we got started. You know, the, the the next step that we after we met a few times and got a, and we talked about what what we wanted to do, which was spread the word. And from the very beginning, John, uh, we were very careful about we wanted to be inclusive and not exclusive. Um, and that's a very hard thing to do. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's it's a tough balance sometimes. It's a very hard balance. Uh, it's a very tough balance, uh, and, and it doesn't always work. Yeah. And, and we are, uh, you know, we are typical, I believe, as far as we do have people in the group that don't want to be inclusive, but they they go along with the group conscience. And um, so what we did is we did typical uh, spread the word uh, actions. We spread. We put flyers out. Uh-huh. I started announcing it at every meeting I was at. I even went to meetings that I didn't enjoy and announced it. Um, right. And it took about six months. And all of a sudden, you know, we look up in June. We look up in June and um, we've got 15 people. Wow. You know, and we've got um, uh, probably 10 regulars. And, yep. You know, and that's when the second phase of uh, of my growing experience connected to the meeting goes. Uh, that's when I realized, you know, we need to. Um, we need to make this a meeting. Oh, uh, let, yeah. let me backtrack real quickly though. Okay. Uh, when I went to the, uh, one of the big, one of the big things that they recommended at the workshop at the international convention was that if you were going to start a meeting to make sure you registered with GSO. Right. Correct. Get mm-hmm. a number. And, uh, it was through that process that when I did it, you know, they sent me that huge. That's right. Information. <laughs> Right. Where I'm like, wait a minute, man. I just was wanting to get a number. Yeah. So I told me to get a number. Well, six months later, I understood why. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You know, we began the process of: Are we going to be a group or a meeting? And if we're going to be a group, we need to we need to be a part of the service structure. Good for you. Good for you. Absolutely. And so that process started probably six or seven months ago. And uh, since then, you know, we are completely immersed in uh, in service work. We now have, um, you know, an intergroup rep. I'm the GSR. We have an alternate GSR. We have a treasurer. Uh, we don't really have a secretary. We just all uh-huh. pitch in with our news at the beginning of the meeting if we have anything to talk about. And we finally... Uh, we're taking what I consider to be the next step, uh, June the 1st. We now have a meeting that we're going to carry into uh, the hospital here once. Fantastic. With, That's something I want to do, too, for our group. Yeah, and, and the, with the caveat that we're carrying it in with our format. Right, great. So during that process, um, you know, not only was it rewarding, I've learned a tremendous amount about the way AA works and have be- yes. become a real proponent of, working within the system, not outside or against Me too. Absolutely. Yep. Because that's where the change is going to come. You're right. And and it's possible, too. I really believe that. When I go to my area assembly here in Missouri, I'm the only um, open atheist in the whole place. Huh? But they're very, they're very, very accepting of us. They, they, they want to be inclusive. And... I, I have no problem working with them at all. Um, you know, I think if anybody doesn't like me or whatever, they don't really come up to me and tell me. But for the most part, you know, it seems to be working pretty well. Uh, and I am going to echo your experience. And mm-hmm. when I, I started this meeting and started, when we started to get ready to immerse into intergroup and other things, 
I did it with trepidation because of some of the stories, uh, yeah. horror stories that I heard. Um, and as you well know, Atlantic Beach, Florida, which is in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, mm-hmm. we're a bit in the Bible Belt here. Yes. Yep, <laughs> you sure are. Um, but my experience is just like yours. I won't mm-hmm. use the word we've been welcomed with open arms, but mm-hmm. we have been um, absolutely welcomed. Yeah. Uh, we haven't had any pushback at the intergroup level, at the no. district level, or at the region level. Or the yep, neither way. None. More than that, uh, our message has been really um, accepted quite well. We've had yeah. people referred to our group. Um, yeah. And here's and here's the big news on this end: the state convention will be here next year, okay. 2017. Can be in Jacksonville. Yes. And okay. I reached out to the chairman of the state convention and approached her about doing a an atheist free thinkers agnostic workshop. Oh. And she has said yes. Yeah. So. God, that's awesome. Yeah. So, um, and she's. That's exactly what we need to be doing. Every all the groups around the country need to be doing that. I think. Right. And you know, uh, she um, and, and that's a credit to her more mm-hmm. than it is uh, anything else uh, that she is willing to take the pushback. She says there'll be pushback, mm-hmm. but that um, you know that she quote uh, said it's time. You know, it's yeah. Time. So she's going to give us a Saturday slot in the afternoon, which is peak time. And we've settled on the title, um, We Agnostic and Freethinkers NAA is going to be good deal. Oh, man, you're inspiring me to do something like that. Mm-hmm. We have a convention in Missouri every year. It's in July. Mm-hmm. That'd be kind of interesting to do something like that. They, I think they'd be open to it. I mean, here in Missouri, um, you know, we're kind of Bible Belt, too, at least in the southern part of the state. Right. But they're pretty they're pretty um, accepting of me. I mean, that's the thing about AA is they really go out of their way to give the minority you know special um attention right and um and they do really want to be inclusive so I, i've not had you know right i don't know we'll see i, I haven't had i haven't had any you know i've had i've had some negative uh, I, but i've had no confrontations and i've definitely had no horror stories like before you know no. we're list our intergroup listed us in the where and when we're listed on the internet you know we've had no pushback whatsoever uh, and that's just been our experience. I know that that's not the case in all places. Yeah. You know, um, before we run out of time, let me share a little bit about how our group uh, process. Yeah. So we started. We started in December. Uh, we started December of fourteen, and for for the first four or five, six months, even you know, it was just a lot of venting and a lot of yeah. uh, God bashing, AA bashing. Yeah. What's wrong with AA? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, we've been through that, too. Well, and I was part of it. I mean, here, yeah. I'm, you know, out of the closet now, and I'm fucking angry. Excuse my life. I'm <laughs> angry and proud, you know? Yeah. Um, and, that, and, and, and I've looked at that, looked back at it now, and learned that that is part of the process. Or I, it is. I, it is. Part of the process. Yep. And, um, and slowly, uh, in its own way, over the next year, um, you know, it has now become uh, a very mature, uh, intimate group where people uh, feel very comfortable sharing, uh, you know, deep things that are going on with them. And we've built a pretty strong core, you know, and the core is a good mix. Of, we've got some older guys in their 60s and 70s that have got 30, 25 years. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, our intergroup rep is a young 26-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. And we've got um, a couple of, you know, 
two, three year guys. Mm -hmm. And so it's real, our group has really matured, like I said, and you know, uh, that's represented best, I think, by our commitment to service work. Yep. Um, and then, you know, the last, the last thing about our meeting is now when we get the newcomer in there who shares for 15 minutes at their first meeting and it's just like we were when we opened up, we all, yeah. We don't try to change it or whatever. We understand it. Yes. Yeah. And let me share this story real quickly because this just happened two weeks ago in our group and it was a great, it was a great learning experience and growth spurt for our group. I talked to the guy this morning about sharing it and he said he was okay with that. Okay. So we had one of our core members come in two weeks ago and he was sitting there a little apprehensive and tootling and messing around with his paper. And then, you know, and finally he shared and he said, um, I've, uh, through a medical miracle, I have had, uh, I've found God and, um, <clears throat> I'm really worried that you guys don't want me here anymore because, of and we had been sharing on a completely different topic related to the, um, the reading of the morning. Mm -hmm. And, um, he went on to explain what had happened and, you know, given credit to his story, you know, he had one of those inexplicable medical Yeah. and he's an older guy and it, and it was from Mayo Clinic. So, I mean, it wasn't like he went to some quack who said you're cured or whatever but anyway right um the point that i wanted to share or the the the, the positive that i wanted to share was the, the meeting turned on a dime mm -hmm. people that had already shared shared again and we all you know shared to him absolutely not you know you are yeah. welcome here and we want you here and the only thing that's changed is your belief is different than that's right and um it didn't really dawn on us until this week which is two weeks later um but it was a real growing experience for us that but one of the things we're going to probably try to do in the coming months is to make sure that we reach out to not believers but that mm -hmm. people know that it's not a closed meeting yeah um so it was a really neat experience didn't affect my beliefs whatsoever no. But, um, you know, he's a really fortunate guy. Uh, you know, it was a very, it was a very, uh, spiritually grow, uh, it was, it was a spiritual growth moment in our group. Sure. And it's a really important thing. It's something that our group is still going to be working through because we have some believers. Most of us, most of us are atheists, but even within the atheists, you have like some people that are super, super spiritual and some people that want absolutely nothing to do with any spirituality. And it's like, we really have to learn to respect each other's differences and just, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, because, uh, because to tie things up here, because we're not there for us. Right. That's right. And that has been our experience now. We are there for that newcomer. We are there for that yeah. guy that comes in and vents for 15 minutes. Yeah. And realizes that he has a place to go. Yeah. You're right. And that has become our primary purpose. That was the last step, of, not the last, but it's the next step in our growth as a group that we've reached a point where, hey, we need to spread this message. Mm -hmm. We need to go carry a meeting somewhere, you know. And, uh, you know, the, I won't say it saved my life, mm -hmm. but if you look up the definition of epiphany, the convention in Santa Monica Mm -hmm. was an epiphany for me. Yeah. Let me see. You know, um, because the third definition in the dictionary for an epiphany, epiphany is mm -hmm. a moment of sudden revelation or insight. Mm -hmm. Nothing religious. Nothing. Right. You know, uh, I had an epiphany in Santa Monica and it helped keep me on, on a positive track in recovery. God, me too. <laughs> it really did. It did. And you know, that is, uh, that is what, uh, that's what our meeting's there for.
you know, yeah. is that guy that we can help. And really, uh, like I said, we started with four, mm-hmm. and uh, we've had probably two other guys that were atheists before they ever got to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of them's a typical uh, AAer that's atheist and doesn't need doesn't need to tell anybody and doesn't care in AA. Mm-hmm. He just mm-hmm. uses the good orderly direction where the word God is and it doesn't bother him, which irks the shit out of me. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, a couple of them are those kind of guys, but the rest of them, which would be anywhere from six to ten people on any given Saturday, uh-huh. they're all people who found us because they were unhappy in regular meetings. Yeah, yeah, that's what we find too. Uh-huh. So, you know, um, things are good here in Atlantic Beach. Um, you know, we're, uh, we're moving forward. We haven't found a, a reason or ability to start a second meeting. That uh-huh. Probably will come next, probably next year sometime. We'll wait and see. But, you know, we're, um, we're also looking forward to coming to the convention. Uh, we're going to try to drum up a group. Um, we're trying to get commitments by the end of June, first of uh-huh. July, so we can make some reservations. That's cool. And I've contacted them about, uh, surprise, surprise, volunteering to run the workshop on starting a meeting. <laughs> oh, neat. I'd like, to, I'd like to see that. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that, um, two things. I think that that would be an easy, natural thing for me to do because I've uh-huh. much recently and it's fresh in my mind. Yep. Um, and second, the other the other thing that came out of doing this was I've learned that there's a huge difference in being a group and being a meeting. Very good, very good. That there very there really truly is, and I guess it's that connection to the service structure. It's absolutely the connection to the service structure, and there's a you know um, uh, it's important because mm-hmm. as I've shared with you, and we seem to agree. The change has to come from within, yeah. and that's the change that's going to last. And yep. my experience, which sounds a lot like yours, is GSO and at the service level, they're open mm-hmm. to that change. They are. They are open to that change, and they realize it. Um, yeah. You know, it's an outlier experience that I hear of somebody coming up and doing the old, you can't get sober without God, or that is the exception yeah. to the rule for us. That's right. Those are just individual people. Right. It is not. It yeah. is not the rule uh, at the at the service level of AA. We have nope. accepted, uh, you know, and um, you know, it's been a very positive experience for us. So, um, you know, we're going to keep doing what we're doing here. And um, well, I really enjoyed hearing about this, and I I'm going to go down to Jacksonville sometime and go to one of your meetings. Well, we uh, <laughs> we meet in a nice little art gallery three blocks off the ocean. It's not a bad spot, John. That sounds beautiful. That sounds beautiful. And I look forward to seeing you in, uh, in Austin. Uh, you're, you're definitely going to yep. be there, right? I will absolutely be there. That's yep. almost driving distance for you, isn't it? It is. I'm going to drive. Um, actually, we're, a bunch of us are talking about getting a van or a bus or something and going down together. But, uh, yeah, it's like a 10 hour drive. Yeah. You know, my partner, the girl I live with, um, she's, she's, uh, she's not, uh, she's not in the program or even has issues. She's so intrigued. She's going to come with me. Um, we're looking, we're looking cool. forward to it. Um, like I said, we're going to try to get a group and see if we can, uh, uh, either travel as a pack or, or make our reservations as a pack, but we're going to do that real soon. That'll be fun. All right, brother. Well, listen, I've got, I've got to be somewhere. Okay. Um, Anything else that, that uh, I can share? No, I think that you, that covered it, and I really appreciate it very much. That your story about the group is inspiring to me, um, I, and I think it will be to a lot of other people too. So you go out there and you have yourself a good day, right, there, man. Glenn. And, uh... 
Well, that's it for another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. We'll be back soon enough with another interesting conversation, another interesting guest. I hope you enjoyed this program. Just know that we'll be back again very soon. Until then, take care and be well.